Extra Daily Planet Extra. Men with power obey neither policy nor principle. No one is different. No one is neutral. If Superman were here, what would you want to say to him? That my family too had dreams. To look him in his eye and ask him how he decides which lives count and which ones do not. The man of screen. There's a new kind of mean in him. He is angry and he's hunting. I didn't kill those men if that's what they think. This is what makes you such a good reporter. Stuff like this still shocks you. I'm older now than my father ever was. This may be the only thing I do that matters. So falls the house of Wayne. God is all powerful. He cannot be all good. The world only makes sense if you force it to. Men like that, words don't stop him. You know what stops him? A fist. You are never a god. You are never even a man. That dream is all some people have. It's all that gives them hope. Now God is good as dead. Man made a world where standing together is impossible. We will. We have to. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 4 of Man of Screen Extra. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and on this episode, I am going to take a look at the ultimate edition of Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. Now, as many of you know, this was released on Blu-ray and DVD on July 19th, but before that, it was released digitally on June 28th. Now, I did watch the extended version several times when it was released digitally, but I got my hands on the Blu-ray on the 19th when it was released, and that was really my first chance to watch the film and kind of dissect it a little bit. And I'm going to go on the record by saying that I do believe that the Ultimate Edition is a better version of the film than what was released in theaters, and I believe that if something like this version was released, maybe a half hour shorter, then perhaps the buzz around Batman v Superman would have been more positive than it was. It is unknown how this film got to be three hours. Well, it's really not unknown. Zack Snyder apparently made an initial cut of the film that was three hours. And I do wonder if the acknowledgement of this edition being released so early, I mean, very early into the initial run of the film in theaters, hurt the box office as people decided to just wait for this extended cut to be released on Blu-ray. Either way, like I mentioned, this is a better film than the theatrical cut. And I'm not going to disagree with other people who have said that this is a problem. Now, it's not a problem anymore, but it was a problem in March when this was released to theaters because a better film could have been released in theaters. When you go to the theater, you have to put your best foot forward with the best film that you could possibly have made. And what was released in theaters was not the best version of the film. There are still problems with the film. The nightmare sequences and the scene where Flash shows up to warn Bruce about the future still feel shoehorned in. Obviously, we get our confirmation in the Ultimate Edition about Jimmy Olsen getting shot in the desert, but 
you know, that doesn't bother me as much as it could. I mean, we all saw how Smallville retconned their own killing off of Jimmy Olsen. If this guy was in the CIA, Jimmy Olsen might not even be his name, so who knows. But the problem does remain at the end that Clark Kent has been dead and buried. And an empty box with Superman's body has been buried in Metropolis. By the way, this this podcast will contain spoilers for any edition of Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. I think the cuts could have been made in different places to get this down to a two and a half hour film. You could have set up the upcoming Justice League movie and established the threat that awaits the Justice League in future films much more easily and probably more economically runtime-wise than the overblown dream sequences that we saw in this film. I mean, all you really needed was the shot of Lex Luthor in front of Steppenwolf that we saw at the end. And the way the film is structured, the conversation Batman has with Lex Luthor probably happened before the funeral in Smallville. So that kind of gives you everything you need to know about why Batman needs to find the rest of the metahumans. So maybe if that kind of stuff was cut from the theatrical cut and some of the character moments and the plot development were left in the film, maybe it would have been better received in March. I don't know. It is, like I said, it is the fault of Zack Snyder, who made a three-hour film. Now, I don't know if the studio gave him carte blanche to make the movie he wanted, and then after seeing it, got scared by a three-hour runtime. That is certainly possible. But I also kind of wonder what version of the movie all those Warner Brothers execs sat and applauded. Was it this version, or was it the theatrical cut? You know, these are questions that we're really never going to get answers to, and, you know, having those answers would kind of be nice. Anyway, a couple of things that the Ultimate Edition does better than the theatrical cut is smooth over some of the first act. Now, obviously, when I spoke in March, I thought the first act of this film was very long. And it's really not any shorter in this version, but things make a little more sense. Now, one thing that kind of bummed me out when I saw the Ultimate Edition for the first time is the one thing I did like in the theatrical version was the way Superman was introduced for the first time with the sonic boom and him flying down. That's different in this version where he the first thing you see Superman do is attack the drones. What I will say before I get into further detail in the next segment is that this film goes out of its way to illustrate Luthor's plot much better than the theatrical version did between the addition of Kahina Ziri, the actress who basically lied to Congress in the beginning of the film to set Luthor's plan to motion and to blame Superman for what happened in the desert. Her role is much more clearly explained. Exactly how Luthor got Superman chasing Batman is far better explained. And like I said, the whole plot, when you look back on it, it makes sense when... The theatrical cut really didn't make a whole lot of sense. It made enough sense to get through, but like I said, this version is much clearer. You know, it also changes some of the stuff that happened at the Capitol building during the explosion. It makes it much more clear that Superman was not involved in the attack. In the theatrical cut, everything kind of blew up around Superman, and he kind of stood there looking upset about it. Now, what this version did that I thought was a lot better, and I think Superman came off a lot better in this version as well, is you saw the aftermath of the explosion, and Superman was helping rescue survivors. 
which is what Superman would do in that situation. And in the theatrical cut, there was no hint of that. He just stood there looking miserable and was gone. We also get to see more of Lois doing her reporting as she tries to get to the bottom of what happened in Nairobi. And we see more of how she figures out that Superman has been framed both in Africa and set up in the Capitol building. And we get more of Clark being a reporter, too, which was nice to see. We don't always get to see a lot of Clark Kent reporter in these films, and we get to see a little bit about what Clark stands for and how he believes in the power of the press to do the right thing, as he put it, even in a jaded world. So, like I said, a lot of these Superman elements seem to work a lot better in the Ultimate Edition than they did in the theatrical cut. The theatrical cut doesn't do a whole lot from the Batman end. It, all of that is pretty much the same. Wonder Woman is pretty much the same. The Ultimate Edition doesn't really change anything. It just smooths out a lot of the rough edges that the theatrical version had in the overall storytelling. If you're worried about which version of the film is canon, I don't believe the Ultimate Edition adds or takes away anything to fundamentally change the story. So, depending on what you want, either one of these films can be canon in the upcoming DC Extended Universe franchise, or whatever you want to call it. Those are just some of my overall thoughts on the Ultimate Edition. I'm going to take a quick break now, I'm going to play a promo, and then I'm going to come back and take a detailed look at some of the differences between the theatrical version and the new Ultimate Cut. So, hang around. Are you willing to follow me on a journey and risk getting lost in a swirling maze of past ages protected only by our red indestructible capes as we break through the final unexplored realm of the time barrier to explore the fantastic Silver Age adventures of the world's greatest hero, Superman? If so, join me each week on the Superman Fan Podcast as together we'll follow the Man of Steel, his cousin Supergirl, and his closest friends, Perry White, Lois Lane, Jimmy Olsen, Lana Lang, Batman and Robin and others in Superman's never-ending quest to defend truth and justice in the pages of Action Comics, Superman, World's Finest Comics, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, and Superman's girlfriend Lois Lane. Go to the supermanfanpodcast.blogspot.com, available on iTunes and most other podcast aggregators. You can also follow the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Medium, Flipboard, and Stitcher. And after you listen, feel free to send email to supermanfanpodcast at gmail.com. And unless you request otherwise, I look forward to reading your comments on future episodes. And don't forget to wear your red indestructible cape, standard safety equipment for traveling through the time barrier. All right, welcome back, folks. And what I'm going to do in this segment, I'm going to go through the 
Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice Ultimate Edition, and I'm going to point out some of the differences between the extended cut and the theatrical cut. One of the things I've noticed during the course of my viewing the theatrical cut after I'd watched the Ultimate Cut several times is not only is the Ultimate Edition extended from the theatrical cut, but the film is also re-edited in a way that several scenes are shuffled throughout the movie. For instance, the scene in which Lois kind of ambushes Secretary Swanwick in the men's bathroom is much later in the extended edition than it is in the, in the theatrical cut. And that makes sense because a lot of stuff has to happen in the extended edition before Lois gets to that point. Without those scenes in the theatrical cut, they can move that a little bit forward to progress that story a little faster. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to go blow by blow through the movie, and I'm going to point out as many of the differences as I spotted while watching the film. If I missed any, you are free to let me know about that. So, here we go. Now, one of the first major differences that I noticed in the movie is that after the kryptonite is recovered in the Indian Ocean, and the film cuts immediately to Africa, in the theatrical cut, it goes right to Lois being taken before the warlord. The extended cut, however, features an extended introduction to Jimmy Olsen, who, in an entertaining sequence, Lois implies talks too much, and apparently he's not her preferred photographer. Miss Lane, Jimmy Olsen, photographer, obviously. Where's Huron? Uh, trouble at the border. So, uh, how'd you land it? This is like pioneer stuff. Amajuk's never given an interview. You know what Huron always says when we're on assignment together? Not a goddamn thing. I like Huron. And the extended cut also features some additional dialogue from Jimmy protesting before the camera is taken apart. This is how it's played in the theatrical version. Are you a terrorist, General? They did not tell me the interview was with the lady. I'm not a lady, I'm a journalist. What I am is a man with nothing, except the love of my people. I don't know, but you're just exposed. Who's paying for these security contractors, General? Who pays for the drones that pass over our heads at night? And this is how it's played in the extended cut. Are you a terrorist, General? They did not tell me the interview was with the lady. I'm not a lady, I'm a journalist. What I am is a man with nothing except the love of my people. Who's paying for these security contractors, General? Who pays for the drones that pass over our heads at night? One question begs another. Yes? Say what you're saying, General. It's just a camera. The United States has declared its neutrality in your country's civil war, both in policy and in principle. I don't know, but you're just exposed. Not a big difference, but he does get a little bit more dialogue. In the theatrical cut, it goes straight from Jimmy being killed to Lois underground with the Warlord. However, in the extended cut, not only do you see them fire the gun on Jimmy like you do in the theatrical cut, but you also see in some kind of control center, I guess that's the CIA control center or whatever, you see the kind of thermographic image of Jimmy being shot. So, you see the body fall, he's definitely dead. 
So no, uh, no more Jimmy Olsen, apparently. At least for now. This is where the extended cut earns its R rating. Features a lot more violence in the Africa scene, including an extended scene of, of the KGB and his men burning the bodies to indicate that he used his heat vision on them. And you get very explicit views of people getting shot. There's blood all over the place. I'm sure there was a way to still get this point across and clean up the violence for PG-13, but I didn't make the ultimate cut. I'm just reviewing it. The extended edition also changes the way Superman is introduced to the film. The uh, theatrical cut introduces Superman, he, having him fly down out of the sky through multiple sonic booms. However, the first time we see him in the extended cut, he just takes out the drones and then goes to save Lois. In the theatrical cut, the only thing he does is go to save Lois. I like that they showed him doing other things. There was a lot missing in the theatrical cut version of what happened in Africa. One, you the only CIA that you saw was Jimmy. Not only are the drones flown by what I'm presuming is some kind of American force, probably the CIA, but there's also a team on the ground that goes into the village to kind of take care of things after Luthor's men do their damage and take off, so... In the theatrical cut, there's no trace of those guys. It's easy for people to believe that Superman did what he was accused of doing in the theatrical cut. In the extended cut, you see what's going on. You know from the get-go that Superman didn't do the things that he's accused of doing. Intellectually, while you're watching the theatrical cut, I assume you know that anyway. But just in case you don't, the movie doesn't really clear that up for you. After Superman saves Lois, the theatrical cut goes straight to the hearing, while the extended cut shows a brief aftermath of the Americans coming into the village, saving Lois and taking control of the situation. It shows the panicked villagers kind of embracing the American forces, and it shows Lois picking up the notebook that has the bullet lodged in it. But as I mentioned, the theatrical cut goes straight to Kahina Zeri, making her comments about how the sky cracked open, and this almost rings true in the theatrical cut because the only entrance we saw of Superman was the multiple sonic booms. You could almost look up and that could sound or look as though the sky is cracking open. Like I mentioned, in the theatrical cut, this is Kahina's only scene. We don't see, You don't see her again for the rest of the movie, and there's a whole plot line in the extended edition that revolves around her that I'll get to, and... The inclusion of that just makes the story flow a little better, and it makes Luthor's manipulations much clearer to the viewer. But apparently these scenes were cut in favor of some of the more expensive, flashier scenes. Lois coming home is slightly extended, but nothing really important. Just a few minor beats that were probably expendable anyway. You know, we see her looking at her bloody shirt before getting the tub, and we see her taking the bullet out. The infamous bathtub scene is a little longer. Instead of ending on his glasses as the theatrical cut did, the extended cut continues this, and uh, the ladies get their first treat of a shirtless Henry Cavill. And right after this scene is where I noticed that the film was re-edited a little bit, because in the theatrical cut, we're introduced to Batman before the bathtub scene. In the ultimate cut, we're introduced to two Gotham City officers who are watching football, and the encounter they have with Batman takes place before the bathtub scene. In the theatrical cut, Gotham City is after that. And But like I said, about the Gotham scene. The extended cut missed an opportunity here. 
Especially after the football game, the cops were watching in their car featured a fight after Metropolis beat Gotham. This would have been a great place to make Vic Stone the Metropolis quarterback and have him suffer some kind of debilitating injury during the fight that ensued after the game. That would have been a much more subtle and organic way to introduce Cyborg into the universe. Aside from what we saw later, which was basically him hanging uh, basically a head and some shoulders on a board and being repaired by a mother box. We have no idea what happened to him, how he got like that, but I guess we'll find out about that sooner or later. And I also think the extended cut handles the editing better because you see the first Gotham scene, which is the cops and Batman saving some, looks like slaves or something, probably some human trafficking going on there. So you see Batman saving all of them, the cops shooting at him, and then that scene ends, and then we go back to Metropolis for Lois to uh, come home and for Clark to arrive. It's a little jarring in the theatrical cut to go from Batman on the streets to Bruce Wayne suddenly showing up at home in a suit. It goes from Batman to Bruce and Alfred talking about the white Portuguese. You know, it felt like it needed something to break it up a little bit, and breaking the Gotham stuff up with the bathtub scene seemed to work and help the flow there. The extended cut goes from Bruce and Alfred to LexCorp, while the theatrical goes straight to Clark shirtlessly making breakfast and hopefully keeping his famous chest hairs out of the eggs. You know, us hairy folks need to cook with, with our shirts on, and it's high time Mr. Kent here learned that. It's a health violation. I don't care how much Lois loves him, she does not want to find his chest hair in her breakfast. And, and in the ultimate cut, breakfast is after LexCorp, and it's a totally different scene in the ultimate cut. In the theatrical cut, the news story that distracts Clark from making the breakfast is a story about Batman branding a criminal. And then that's how, in that version, Clark gets on Batman. The ultimate cut, however, has Kahina Ziri on the news, questioning how Superman decides whose lives count and whose doesn't. Just the change in the news program that Clark is viewing changes the way this story has to play out, because if Kahina is excised from the theatrical cut after her opening scene at the hearing, there's no reason for Clark to go to Gotham City where, in the ultimate cut, he finds out about Batman. So they need to find another way for him to find out he's Batman. So the best way to do that is to, I guess, switch news stories, basically. The extended cut also does the entire LexCorp scene at once. And what I mean by LexCorp scene is this is where Luthor introduces Senator Finch and the guy she's with. I think it's another senator to the kryptonite and how he's asking for an import license for the kryptonite that was found in the Indian Ocean. And then it goes, after that, it goes straight to the male senator, I should really look up that guy's name, giving basically his wish list, which is access to the ship and Zod's body. The theatrical cut interrupts the LexCorp scene after the scene in the lab with Wallace Keefe defacing the Superman statue by spray-painting False God on it. Then they go to the planet to watch the news footage of it. And then after that, the theatrical cut cuts back to LexCorp for Luther to make his wish list. Another problem some of the cuts created for the theatrical version is that Clark getting assigned football makes no sense because it's completely out of the blue. We haven't seen the two cops watching the fight in the car, so there's no reason for that to even be mentioned in the theatrical cut, especially since Clark doesn't do anything about it anyway. Plus, as someone who works at the newspaper, I know sports would have its own staff separate from the news staff. 
Perry wouldn't just uh, be able to assign Clark to sports. The sports editor would have a fit. After Lex delivers his wish list, the theatrical cut goes to the Underground Fight Club, and this is where Bruce meets the KG Beast, while the extended cut shows Clark going to Gotham. But like I mentioned, he's not going there for football, even though that's what he's been assigned. He's chasing down what he saw on the news, and he's looking for Kahina. But instead of Kahina, he encounters an old man who basically turns him on to Batman. She's been gone. What you do, officer? Well, I'm not a cop. I'm a reporter. The young lady living here? She hasn't been back. In fact, if she's smart, then she got out of this city. And you need to get out of here before dark, unless you want to run into her. Don't listen to that nonsense. Only people scared of him. People who got reason to be. Uh, scared of who? Well, there's a new kind of mean in him. He is angry. And he's hunting. And I like this other woman who's in the scene in the background who comes up at the end and mentions that she seems to improve of Batman's action, saying that the only people who are afraid of him are those that need to be, which I think is a nice touch. That's something I always like to say, that if you don't go out looking for trouble, trouble won't find you. So that's not always the case, but I find that in a lot of ways that works. Now, both versions seem to sync up when we get back to the planet, as Lois asks to go to DC. But the extended cut has a nice scene between Lois and Clark, where he, where he expresses concern for what she's investigating. So, why didn't you tell me? You're digging up snakes, Lo. It's kind of dangerous. That is why I didn't tell you. Lane, don't you have a plane to catch? Yes, sir. Benefit for the Library of Metropolis. Someone on the committee requested that Clark Kent cover it. Probably some old charity crone who's got a thing for nerds. You know, it's a typical Lois and Clark scene, and this is where we get he calls her low for the first time. And it's nice that he does that twice in the extended version. Even though it was, you know, kind of cute when it, the one time I saw it in the theatrical version, that seemed to be the wrong place to hear it for the first time. Hearing it here, where he's talking to her, when he's not under duress and not stressed out in casual conversation i like seeing it here and it makes hearing it later in the hotel scene a lot easier to deal with and also we don't see clark get assigned to the library assignment and perry says clark was requested those of us who have seen the entire movie multiple times know that luthor manipulated a lot of the actions and requesting clark to cover the friends of the library event at luthor's mansion that is a further clue that Luthor is manipulating the situation. But anyway, back to Lois and Clark, and he's worried, but she's doing her job anyway, and not telling him so he wouldn't worry. This is a nice bit of character that's cut from the theatrical release, and I really think the theatrical cut suffers from not having some of these quiet character moments in it. Then the film goes straight to the meeting between Finch and Luthor, the one in the, in the mansion where in what we are told is Lex Luthor Sr.'s bedroom. This is where we get the Devils from Hell Beneath Us line, which, for those of you who are keeping score at home. Now, there's some more re-editing as the, the as the theatrical version seems much jumpier, while the extended cut seems to stay on certain scenes longer. After Bruce gets out of bed, the extended version stays on Alfred coming in to find the empty wine bottle, while the theatrical cut 
goes to Lois ambushing Swanwick in the bathroom. Like I said, in the extended cut, this is much later. We haven't even gotten to the library party yet, and in the extended cut, this scene is later. So instead of going to Lois and Swanwick, the extended cut stays on Alfred and Bruce Wayne a little longer. And I like that, that it's that this version stays on scenes longer. And, and this scene is pretty much the same as it was shown in the theatrical cut, with the exception of uh, the ladies get to see Batman's butt as he's showering. I can personally do without that, but it is what it is. The party at Luther's house and the montage with Superman rescues over the talking heads is the same in both versions until it's over and Clark calls his mother to ask why his father never left Kansas. Hello. Mom. Clark. What is it? What's wrong? No, nothing. I just, uh... Hi. Hi. How come Dad never left Kansas? Oh. Well, he just, uh... <laughs> you know how he was. What do I need to travel for? I'm already there. <laughs> Just wish it was more simple. My baby boy. Nothing was ever simple. The theatrical cut got rid of these little moments that humanized Clark and his character, and that cut is sorely lacking because of it. I've said this is the second time I've said that now, and I'm. Won't be surprised, I'm going to keep saying that as this analysis goes on. Here we go, we got another new scene here where a lab tech in Washington is analyzing the bullet that Lois pulled out of her notebook. And this is where we meet Jenna Malone, who is listed as Janet Clyburn, a DC Comics character and one of the lead scientists at Star Labs in the Bronze Age and the Post-Crisis. She made her first appearance in Superman number 304 in October of 1976, and she was created by Jerry Conway and Kurt Swan. And she, according to what I'm seeing here, she was apparently also used in the Ruby Spears Superman cartoons, which I will get to in quite some time. An odd little duck. Hmm. Never seen a metal like this. Could be DARPA black box. Who could find out? Nobody who'd want to. Maybe they gave them out to the rebels to test in theater. Using live soldiers as guinea pigs? And this is what makes you such a good reporter. Stuff like this still shocks you. Anyway, she's the one who discovers something is wrong with the bullet. Well, not really wrong, but made out of a strange metal. Alright, after that, we get an added scene of Clark doing some research at Batman on his desk, and then we see a branded Gotham prisoner being brought to jail in Metropolis. And... This is where it catches up to the theatrical version, which skipped all of that. And we go straight from Keith getting bailed out of jail to him returning home to find Lex Luthor. When you're watching the movie, note the two bags of groceries on the back of Keith's wheelchair. In the extended cut, this scene is a little longer, as is the next scene where Keith goes to meet Senator Finch. In the extended cut, the scene of... Wallace returning home is a little bit longer, as is the next scene where he goes to meet Senator Finch. And it, the extended cut adds an unnecessary F-bomb. In the theatrical cut, Keith simply asks, what do you want? And that is sufficient. There's no need for that in this kind of movie. It's there. It's rated R. Whatever. 
It's just sad that these kinds of things are put into this movie. Alright, then there's the scene where Keith meets the senator. And I am going to play the theatrical version for you right now. He made me half a man. Let me face him. Alright, and here is the way that scene is presented in the extended cut. He made me half a man. My wife walked out on me. I can't even piss standing up. Let me face him. As you heard in the extended cut, he tells Finch that his wife walked out on him and he can't piss standing up. Is that really something we need to know? There's something that he even needs to dwell on in, in this movie. Between the Granny's Peach Tea and this, that's a little too much talk about the bathroom that I really want for my average Superman movie. Or any movie, from really. Some of the dialogue is just unnecessary. But I do like the bit about how his wife walk, walked out on him, and I wish that portion had been left in the theatrical cut. Since what happened at the end of Man of Steel, where he lost his legs due to some debris that fell on him, I can see how his life fell apart. I'm sure he didn't take very kindly to losing his legs at the knee. You know, and I wouldn't be surprised if he went into some kind of depression, and maybe that depression led to some substance abuse. We saw that he had a daughter, and maybe he became so different and despondent, and possibly even violent. You know, we don't really know what happened, but... We've seen his bitterness, and maybe it was best for their daughter, for his wife, to leave. It doesn't appear that he's been incredibly stable for the past two years. Maybe they tried to get some counseling or something, and maybe it didn't take. I don't know. You don't know what's happened to him in the past two years. Just that his wife walked out on him, and he blamed Superman for that. And, you know, maybe it was just his inability to cope with that situation. I mean, I'm definitely not belittling what this character must have gone through. I'm sure it is. It's a traumatic experience, to be sure. And hopefully, you know, we don't know this, and we never will know this, but hopefully his wife did everything she could, gave him all the support she could, and a lot of times recovery comes down to the attitude of the patient. And if he dropped that low, then maybe it was... The best for his wife to kind of cut her losses and move on. But bottom line, though, is I don't think his wife walked out on him because he lost his legs at the knee. I think it's because he became obsessed with Superman and kind of went off the rails a little bit due to the trauma caused by his injury. Anyway, after that, the extended cut goes to a scene where the KGB is arranging something with an inmate. And then this is, we find out this is the Metropolis as the branded inmate that was recently dropped off, who was about to get stabbed to death in the courtyard. And this is where we finally get to the scene in the extended cut where Lois ambushes Swanwick in the bathroom. As you remember me mentioning, the theatrical cut had this scene well before. And now, the two versions are in sync again until, until Perry finishes chewing out Clark for going after the Batman, despite being assigned to the football story and the friends of the library. The next scene in both versions of the movie are the scene where Bruce and Diana meet up at the Sword of Alexander or, or whatever that is. But before that, we get an extra scene of John Stewart of The Daily Show kind of making a joke about David Goyer's Action Comics 900 story where Superman denounced his American citizenship. So apparently Superman doesn't want us to think of him as American anymore. And really, why would we? I mean, aside from the red and blue costume and 
I don't know, fact that he has one-third of the USA's initials on his chest? I assume the only reason he's not wearing the Declaration of Independence as a cape is he thinks it's too on the nose. The joke didn't do anything for me, but more talking heads about what it is. It, that particular thing adds nothing to the movie, and I can see why that would have been cut out. And there is another short conversation with the curator and Diana, which is also expendable, and the theatrical cut picks this scene up when they approach the Sword of Alexander. Now, the theatrical cut goes straight to Perry looking for Clark, who we previously saw getting the package with the photos of the dead inmate. In the theatrical version, this kind of comes out of nowhere. But in the extended cut, we saw the setup, we saw him get stabbed, and that culminates in Clark going to Gotham, and where he meets Santos, the inmate's girlfriend, or well, basically the mother of his child, at the very least. And, and you can listen to that conversation right now. Mr. Santos, may I ask you a few questions? He wasn't my husband, but I know what he did. But he was a father. He was that too. They took him out of Gotham Central. They moved him to Metropolis. But inside they know. They know the mark all over. Guards don't care. That's the judge. One man decides who lives. How is that justice? Talk to me. Help me change it. With what? Your pen? A man like that, words don't stop it. You know what stops him? A fist. The first time I saw this woman in the trailer, I was nervous about her. Because at first, when she appeared in the trailers, I really thought she was talking about Superman. I'm glad to see her, her grievances are with the Batman. After that, the movies sync up again for the scene at the planet where Perry looks for Clark. But the extended goes to Batman's assault on the white Portuguese, while the theatrical goes to the second meeting between Swanwick and Lois before going back to the white Portuguese. The second meeting between Swanwick and Lois is where she goes up to him and says that what happened in Africa keeps her up, keeps her up at night. And this is where she gave Swanwick the bullet and he decides to look into it. There's a fun note about the battle from the uh, white Portuguese. I'm not going to go into details on the battle here. I did that in my discussion of the movie that I did back in March. The Batmobile has come out of the Nicholson Terminal. Nicholson. Jack Nicholson played the Joker in the 1989 Batman film. So, a cute little nod there that I noticed for the first time while watching this film the other night. After Lex takes the kryptonite in the extended cut, then there's an extended glance between Luthor and Mercy, and then the film goes back to Lois and Swanwick's second meeting. That's the extended cut. The theatrical cut goes immediately from Lex to Finch inviting Superman to the hearing. And, but the extended cut doesn't go there until after the second meeting between Lois and Swanwick. As you can see, the scenes are shuffled in the two versions so that they work better in there to tell the story that each film is telling. Both films are telling the same story, but the... Extended version is telling a much more nuanced story than than the theatrical cut is. All right. Then after the after Clark goes to Smallville for the "Be There Hero or Be None of It" speech from his mother, the extended cut goes to Kahina, going back to her apartment in Gotham and seeing the KG Beast with the older man that Clark met at her apartment building, and that's when she decides to hightail it back to DC to tell Finch she lied. Now this is key. Because in the theatrical cut, we don't know, like I mentioned before, whether Superman was guilty or not until Lois's third meeting with Swanwick. In the extended cut, we know that he's not guilty from the get-go. 
in the theatrical cut, we have no indication that Kahina is anything other than honest. In the extended cut, she's lying for Lex Luthor, because he threatened her. Okay, then both versions of the movie meet again at the third meeting between Swanwick and Lois, where he tells her the LexCorp developed the bullet. And then after the setup for the hearing, the theatrical cut goes straight to Luthor meeting with Finch outside the hearing room, while the extended cut goes to Lois trying to talk Perry into writing the story Swanwick gave her. But Perry won't, as you'll hear. An anonymous source can verify everything I told you about what happened in Nairobi. An anonymous source. Run it. Lucifer engineered the desert. It was an ambush for Superman. Trust your reporter. Think Watergate. Yeah, and you need to think litigate. If you're wrong, Lucifer will shoot the paper out of existence. You need proof. No, it needs to run now. Before the hearing, if Superman knows it might change what he said. I am not going to risk the paper so that you can pass notes in class to the man that rescued you. Perry can't run a story like that based on what little confirmed information Lois actually has. As you noticed, Swanwick didn't go on the record because it's classified. Perry does not have nearly enough information to run that story, even though Lois wants to get it out there before the hearing. We also see Finch telling another senator that Gehina was threatened, and then the movie sync back up again when Luthor meets Finch. Then the ultimate cut sticks in the scene of the KGBs pushing Gehina in front of an oncoming train, taking care of any crisis of, of conscience that the woman might be having. And now the movie is in sync again for Superman arriving at the hearing, and basically everything is the same in the two versions until Bruce gets the you-let-your-family-die paper. So the Capitol blows up, and after that, in the extended cut, we see a short scene of Superman helping pull somebody out of the Capitol. The movie only shows him saving one person, but I get the feeling that he pulled out a lot more people. There's a lot of people on stretchers throughout, there's a lot of bodies throughout, so even though he couldn't stop the explosion, I liked that this version of the movie showed that he helped at least save as many of the survivors as he could, even if he couldn't get to the main blast. I still have my issues with him not being able to get to the blast, but that's been addressed already. Now, the film goes from there to Alfred chopping some wood, looking for Bruce, who is nowhere to be found. But Bruce left the papers and the uncanceled checks for Alfred to find. And the news has coverage of the bombing on the screens in the room there. And you hear on the news that Superman was helping people get out of the Capitol. There is no trace of that in the theatrical cut, and there needed to be. There needed to be more of Superman addressing the immediate situation, and he's helping in the extended cut, where this, these scenes should have been left in the movie, and cuts done in other places. Now, both movies now go to Luthor arriving at his lab after Batman's attack, the extended cut shows Luthor taking somewhat of a longer walk into his facility. In the extended cut, he sees the security footage. It's a nice little addition. I always joke that it looked like an inverted takedown from the Arkham Asylum games. Where you're hanging on a gargoyle. Here, press triangle for inverted takedown and Batman takes out the criminal. It's a nice little addition, but like I said, it's unnecessary. So I can see why that was cut out from the theatrical version. Now the two films sync back up again at Lois' hotel room where Superman expresses his doubts and flies away. Lex goes into the ship. And the films stay together through the Daily Planet scene where Perry walks through and asks Lois, still no Kent? There is some extended footage of news coverage. We see people burning a Superman effigy. But most importantly, we see the home of that woman who showed some support for Batman when Clark was there earlier in the film. And I think seeing her is key. 
we're seeing a lot of people, you know, kind of against Superman. Now, the news footage is asking, was Superman involved in the Capitol bombing? And her son, I'm guessing he's about 10, looks to his mother and silently asks the same question. And she shakes her head no. Apparently, she supports both Batman and Superman, and I knew I liked this woman for some reason, and that's why. I wish I knew her name. The extended cut also offers us an unnecessary scene of Clark climbing the mountain, approaching some people where one points out that Clark is looking to die because the mountain isn't passable. Not a necessary scene, but the next one is. The scene of Lois in her apartment seeing a news report on what she was found at Keith's place. Then we get a throwaway shot of Lex standing on his building looking at Gotham. But the, the scene of Lois in her apartment is key because... I love the next scene where Lois goes to Keith's apartment. And this is where we continue to see how good of a reporter she is. She sees everything law enforcement did, but she picks up on the one thing they missed. She just happened to glance to the side and saw some fresh fruit. And that made her check the fridge. He didn't know he was going to die. He just bought groceries. And we saw that he bought groceries because when he came home, when he found Luthor, he had the two bags on the back of his wheelchair. If you're a suicide bomber, you are probably not going to make the supermarket your first stop. And as we know, that was when he got the wheelchair from Lex. The math is very easily done. And then everything falls into place in the next scene as Janet calls... Lois. The wheelchair and the bullet from the desert were made from the same metal. The desert, the hearings, everywhere Superman goes, Luther wants death. But Luther goes through all of that trouble, creates a bomb out of a wheelchair and then alters it to reduce the blast? What do you mean? The inside of the chair was lined with lead. You couldn't stop it. You couldn't see it. The bullet had already been linked to Lex Luthor, so... Therefore, the wheelchair is too, and the inside where the bomb was was lined with lead. Superman expressed concern earlier that he didn't see the bomb because he wasn't looking for it. This is where we learned that he didn't see the bomb because he couldn't see it. His x-ray vision cannot pierce lead. Where was this vital information in the theatrical cut? Let me tell you, it was nowhere. Therefore, because Zack Snyder can't figure out what's important to tell a story... The movie has a possibly undeserved reputation. The two films sync up again when Clark meets Jonathan on the mountain. I'm not sure if this is a dream or vision or what, but it sets Clark back on the path back home. Next we go to Bruce Wayne, commenting about how important what he's going to do. This is when he's preparing to fight Superman. Alfred's... So falls the house of Wayne. Doesn't make the theatrical cut, but it does get back to the extended. I found that sad. I love that line. But aside from that, the two movies are still advancing together. There's little added snippets now. We're moving toward the third act with the fight between Batman and Superman. The lead-up is a little extended. In the extended cut, we actually see Lois get grabbed by KG Beast and his men. And the theatrical cut cuts right from Do I Know You to the helicopter ride. The extended cut shows a scene of KG Beast going toward Martha. It's a little longer in the extended cut. Probably doesn't need to be, but it is. And apparently the extended cut also shows another longer minute of Diana folding her dress before she gets Bruce's email about her and the other metas. Didn't really need the dress folding either. 
The fight between Batman and Superman is extended. Little moments here and there, but nothing that really adds or takes away from the fight. But, there is a great line after Batman and Superman reconcile their differences after the Martha moment. When Batman gets back into the Batwing, and Alfred finds his destination. Here it is as it's presented in the theatrical cut. Lost away. Alfred. Well, I'm sorry for listening in, but I've tracked the Russian's phone to a warehouse near the port. You're locked onto it. And this is how it's presented in the Ultimate Edition. Well, I'm sorry for listening in, but I've tracked the Russian's phone to a warehouse near the port. You're locked onto it. I don't deserve you, Alfred. No, sir, you don't. That's such a great line, and I wish they kept it. Now, after Batman saves Martha, there was another great line. When Superman shows up to apprehend Luthor from the ship. Here's the scene as it was presented in the theatrical cut. Ah, that'll be the cook. Excuse me? Uh, Gotham roast. Well done. Hello, break the bad news. I'd rather do the breaking in person. Ten seconds to a You've lost. Cannot let you win. I gave the bat a fighting chance to do it, but he was not strong enough. So, if man won't kill God, the devil will do it. And now for the Ultimate Edition version. Ah, that'll be the cook. Excuse me? Uh, Gotham Roast. Well done. Hello, break the bad news. I'd rather do the breaking in person. 20 seconds. You've lost. I don't know how to lose. You'll learn. Ah, I'll learn! I don't hate the sinner. I hate the sin. And yours, my friend, is existing. I cannot let you win. I gave the bat a fighting chance to do it, but he was not strong enough. So, if man won't kill God... The devil will do it! It seems as though all of my favorite lines of this movie didn't make the theatrical cut, and... That's putting me a little bit down on the theatrical cut. I don't see myself watching this again. Now we move into the Doomsday fight. The Ultimate Edition has a scene of Martha being picked up by the police before we see Diana get on the plane. And while she's being rescued by the police, she also sees Batman go to join the Doomsday fight. The Extended Cut has the aftermath of the nuke explosion well, a few seconds longer. And then they're pretty much together until after Superman's death, where Lois cries for a little longer in the Extended Cut. And... While the theatrical cut goes right to Luthor in jail, the extended edition goes to some soldiers descending into the scout ship and sees Luthor in front of a manifestation of what many of us believe is Steppenwolf, setting up the upcoming Justice League movie. And then we go to Luthor in jail getting his head shaved. The extended cut shows more sad-looking shots of places around Metropolis, as along with Perry getting the newspaper while the theatrical cut goes right to Clark's funeral in Smallville. We also get in the, in the Ultimate Edition an extended shot of Perry and Jenny showing up at the funeral. And a couple of other th things I've noticed in the Extended Edition that I don't remember in the theatrical cut is there's the priest from Man of Steel, the one Clark talked to before he revealed himself when Zod showed up. Now, some of the two funerals are extended, especially the part where Pete mentions that the funeral was paid for by an anonymous donor. We are left to assume that that was Bruce. And that's not much of an assumption as Bruce and Diana are off to the side. Now, also, the meeting between Batman and Luthor is extended. Here is the way that meeting was presented in the theatrical version. Whatever you do, wherever you go, I'll be watching you. 
the bells already been rung, and they've heard it out in the dark among the stars. <laughs> Ding dong, the god is dead. And this is how it appeared in the extended edition. Whatever you do, wherever you go, I've been watching you. and civilization on the wane manners out the window. <laughs> but who would believe me? Uh, uh, I'm insane. I'm not even fit to stand trial. That's right. We have hospitals to treat the mentally ill with compassion. <laughs> but that's not where you're going. I arranged for you to get transferred to Arkham Asylum in Gotham. I still have some friends there. They're expecting you. But the bell's already been rung. And they've heard it. Out in the dark, among the stars. <laughs> The god is dead. That's pretty much it. The both movies end the same way after that. I think the extended edition was a better version of the film than the, than the theatrical version. However, the theatrical version needed to be two and a half hours long. But I would have cut in different places. The one thing that this version does not improve is the way the nightmare sequence and the visit from the Flash was handled. That still seems shoehorned into the movie. I would just get rid of that. And if you stick with the scene of Luthor getting arrested in front of Steppenwolf and re-edit the Bruce talking to Diana with the meeting he had with Luthor, you can set up the Justice League movie far better and in less time than the Nightmare sequence. Yes, the Nightmare sequence showed parademons. And yes, it was probably expensive. And that's why it remained in the film. But I'll always go back to, in that kind of situation, to the to Superman Returns, the extended return to Krypton sequence, which was very long and drawn out and added nothing to the movie, was taken out. And the nightmare sequences and the visit from the Flash really don't add anything to this, to this film, and therefore I thought those scenes were more expendable than anything else. That's pretty much some of my thoughts on the extended edition, or the ultimate edition as it's called. I am going to take a quick break, play another promo, and then I'm going to have Rebecca Johnson back here, and we're going to kind of have a follow-up to our conversation that we had last month regarding the ultimate edition. Hang around, folks. everybody, I'm Chad Bokelman. You may know me from the Green Lantern podcast, The Lantern Cast. You also may know me from making promises across the comics podcasting community concerning a new project I've been working on. An Action Comics Weekly podcast, to be precise. Well, it's time to deliver on that promise. 
The Action Comics Weekly Podcast is a bi-weekly podcast featuring myself and a rotating cast of semi-regular co-hosts discussing the characters appearing in the comic series of the same name from the late 1980s. So, starting this summer, join me and Mark Marble as we discuss Green Lantern. For all the people that want to give Hal when he was Parallax a lot of shit about the way he acted. Star <laughs> Sapphire has nothing on Hal for being like pushed over the borderline because she's just completely friggin' nuts. Jay Jones as we discuss Wild Dog. He straight up, like you said, he, he murders these people. And that's, that's not my DC Comics. That's not superheroic at all. Batman wouldn't have killed anybody. But the story, this story is, it's, it's not bad. It's not great. It's, it's like the character himself. It's like, he's just, it's just there. It just exists. Ben Avery, as we discuss The Secret Six. So when I read this alone, as I was reading through this, this issue, I'm thinking, what am I getting myself into? <laughs> I, I told Chad I'd do this, but I don't know if I'm going to like this. <laughs> I, I do end up liking Secret Six more. This is the introduction, and without this, you know, I probably wouldn't like, you know, the, the second chapter as much. Doug Zavisha, as we discuss Dead Man. <laughs> well, it's it's a kind of a waffly Dead Man story. It wants to be a Dead Man story. It starts to be a Dead Man story. It forgets it's a Dead Man story, and then it comes back to being one, um, all in the span of eight pages. Alan Middleton, as we discuss Blackhawk that there's sort of this era of Blackhawk where he was sort of dissolute and sort of couldn't get civilian life together. Mm -hmm. And I think this story is either beginning that trend or at least tapping into that, tapping into that fertile story. And Michael Bailey, as we discuss Superman. There is really no way to tie this two-page strip into that. So it really exists in its own world at a time where the Superman books were becoming more and more linked. So it's this oddity on a number of levels. And many other characters featuring many more guest hosts along the way. The Action Comics Weekly Podcast. Coming soon, summer 2016. Find us on Facebook for more details. Welcome back, folks. And as a follow-up to our conversation last week, I have Rebecca Johnson has stopped by again. Thanks for having me. I always love talking about Batman v Superman, so I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, I am too. It was an interesting experience viewing the extended extended cut. I know you've uh, when you saw it for the first time, you probably noticed the differences right away. I had to kind of go back and watch the theatrical cut again afterwards. So, just in general, what did you think of the Ultimate cut. Yeah, like you said, I could tell the differences right away. And I thought it added a lot to the story. I think it's interesting because I see pros and cons to both the extended cut and the theatrical cut. I know a lot of people said, oh, the the extended cut fixes all the problems and it's a a far superior movie. And I'm like, hold up, hold up. There's some great things about the extended cut and there's some things I don't like about the extended cut. So I think what it does well is that there's a whole storyline that they removed 
from the theatrical cut that I think makes the story stronger and a lot of the characters more powerful and impactful. Like the the whole thing with, I, I think her name is Kahina mm-hmm. and Senator Finch. That whole thing with Lex manipulating the Senate hearing and giving her the script. And she's like, you know, she wants to tell Senator Finch the truth about the fact that she's lied at the Senate hearing and that she's hunted by KG Beast and ultimately is murdered by him. I thought all of that was great. That added another layer of the story that really showed how diabolical Lex was. Right. So as a, as a fan of villains and as a fan of Jesse Eisenberg's Lex Luthor, that was very exciting. I really liked that. And I thought it made Holly Hunter's character, Senator Finch, I thought it made her stuff much more interesting because when she says that line, today is a day for truth, that's not just because she <laughs> believes in the democratic system and being able to talk things out, but she does. But that line is said because she knows the truth. She knows that Kahina had lied and came to confess to her. And she knows that Lex is being a mastermind behind all of this. So I, that stuff I really loved. And I love that we got more Lois. I, li- I love that we got more Clark. So there's uh, some really good, strong stuff in there that I think uh, I was glad to see. On the other side, what were some of the things about it you didn't like? Well, the things I didn't like were more like editing things. Uh, which is funny because my problem with the theatrical cut was mostly editing things. So uh, the things that I, I didn't like in this extended cut were just the things, it was more preference right. in, in terms of like, for example, the bathtub scene with Clark and Lois. In the theatrical cut, it ends with Clark's glasses hitting the floor. Right. And I really liked that in the theatrical cut because it's such an iconic shot that his his secret identity, he doesn't have to be that with Lois. He can be himself, so his glasses hit the floor. And I really like the symbolism and the, the metaphor there. And so even though I love shirtless Henry Cavill, I'm not going <laughs> to complain about that. I, I thought the extended cut... I was sad to see that go. I was sad. I was sad that it didn't end on the glasses. Right, they but, tacked another few seconds on there. Yeah, but at the same time, I get why they wanted to show that a little because that's like the last happy moment between Clark and Lois before all of this stuff goes down and before he dies. So I can see the choice behind that, but I just, you know, I prefer the glasses. And there's another similar thing with, at the, well, at the end of the movie when the death of Superman has happened and it pulls out from that really nice shot with Superman dead and Lois's arms in the theatrical cut. It goes to, I think the next thing goes to Lex getting his head shaved. And then there's that, all that stuff with the death of Superman. And it's a really nice transition. I like the way it kind of flows. And in the extended cut, it goes from that nice shot of the death of Superman to this really kind of jarring scene with Lex getting arrested. And I know right. why they, I know why they have that shot because it's a Steppenwolf thing and it's foreshadowing what's coming, but I personally thought it was too strong. Like I I liked the way that the theatrical cut handled that a little better. So there were some things like that that I wasn't so crazy about, but right. like I I can live with it. It's funny. I wish I, I may have to end up making a Rebecca Johnson cut of this movie <laughs> because there's a lot of things I liked about the extended cut and there's a lot of things I liked about the theatrical cut, but they didn't they didn't merge quite 
um, like I would have preferred it merge. And I also remember when we talked before, we we both mentioned that we really like that shot of Superman entering the African yes, incident. and it's gone. Um, and it's gone in the extended cut. So there are things like that where I was like, oh, you could have kept it the same. That's yeah. fine. But I mean, I still love both versions of the movie. I don't know if I'm going to go back to watching the uh, theatrical cut again after this because I love so many of the character moments that we were able to see in the Ultimate Edition. And, you know, a lot of people complained about Superman's lack of dialogue. That's because all of his good dialogue was cut out of the, uh, the actual cut. <laughs> that's, that's true. You know, two little bits. One that's escaping me, and the other one that I really like when he goes back to Lex after Batman saves Martha, and he says, you've lost. And then Lex goes on about how he doesn't know how to win, and just that, you'll learn. Yeah, you yeah. Know, just... Something Superman would say, and a lot of his best dialogue got cut out. I also, I also liked seeing, after the Capitol bombing, him hanging around to help pull out survivors. Yes. You know, I think that went a long way to saying, yes, the he's taking all the slings and arrows from the public, but he's still being Superman, even though it seems like half the world is out to get him. And in a lot of stories we've seen in the past in various comic and TV shows, most of the time that the public is out to get Superman, it's always somebody manip- doing the manipulating. And here we see kind of from the word go that the whole thing is being manipulated from, from the start. And I liked watching that unfold. The movie still has some of the problems that it did since it came out in March. The, uh, I still feel like the nightmare sequence and the Flash coming back through time is still kind of shoehorned in. I think it, when they were cutting it, for time maybe that could have gone and you could have handled the foreshadowing for the next movie a little more subtly because i remember sitting in the theater watching that i looked at stacy and during that sequence and she you have no idea what's going on do you because she doesn't read comics yeah and i and i'm sure that happened to a lot of people but i think the nightmare sequence actually is a very strong sequence because it does multiple things not only does it foreshadow what we will probably see in justice league it also tells us that lois is very important to the story it also foreshadows batman getting the kryptonite because the what well, batman well lex getting the kryptonite um while you know it shows batman in the nightmare sequence getting the kryptonite in a very similar fashion that lex gets the kryptonite so it parallels lex and right. batman which i think is really it's a really interesting idea because they are very similar in a lot of ways just one chooses to be a hero and one chooses to be a bad guy and so i i even think it it helps push bruce further along with his vengeance against Superman. So I think it's a really, it actually does a lot of things. And I think any scene in a movie, I I was once told that a script should, well, when you're writing a script, well, I I think I heard this on a podcast. I wasn't told. And I can't remember what podcast now, so don't quote me on this. But I remember hearing that every scene should do more than one thing. And so I think that scene does a lot of things. So I know it probably did confuse a lot of people, but I think it's actually a a strong part of the movie writing wise. Right. I just think it kind of comes out of nowhere. It seems like it's kind of just stuck in there. 
Well, and I think that's the point is that it's <laughs> it's it's a surprise. Like Bruce doesn't expect for, you know, a time traveler to bust up in the back cave. No. So I think that's actually pretty cool. And I like your point about how Lex is manipulating from from the start. And I love this scene. There's there's one little bit with Lois that's added in and, and there's a whole like Jen Malone thing with yeah. with uh Lois investigating the bullet. And I like that on the phone call and there's even that added bit about the the lead preventing Superman from right. seeing the bomb, which I thought was so necessary. I wish they had put that in the theatrical cut, but um, that was one of those things where I just kind of understood when I was watching the movie, but some people didn't. But I like the the moment in that scene when Lois says, everywhere Superman goes, Luther wants death. Right. And I thought that was great because it does show that every every time Superman tries to do something, something bad happens. Right. And there's even the... I, I kind of latched onto this symbolism with the horses. I know a lot a lot of people are like, why are there horses all throughout this movie? This is so weird. And when I first saw the movie, you oh, know, the, the horses as kind of a harbinger it, of death. Yeah, yeah. And I I, I, I I first I first kind of connected it with the story that Jonathan tells Clark about, you know, how he tried to do a good thing and then it ended up being a bad thing. And then Clark, you know, asked him if the nightmares stop, all that kind of stuff. So I connected that to the nightmares the characters all have. You know, Bruce can't sleep. Lois talks about how she has trouble sleeping. Clark in the extended cut is calling his mother in the wee hours of the morning. And what I think is really neat about the Africa scene now is we see that there are horses in that scene too. We see horses there. We see horses in Metropolis after the fight with Zod. We see horses at the Senate here and we see horses at the funerals at the right. end. And so I think it's really, that kind of stuff excites me because they think about it so much in terms of how it's, you know, it's pulled out of scripture about, you know, a pale horse and and the rider was named Death, you know, like that. And it's even in a Johnny Cash song. He pulled it from the book of Revelation. And so I, that's the kind of stuff I latch on to because I'm like, that is so fascinating. So I, I thought the extended cut did a, a better job because you didn't see those horses in the theatrical cut. So that horse metaphor didn't quite work there on that level. So there's a lot of little stuff like that, that I, I think works better in the extended cut. Right. Yeah. And I'm, a, I've always been more of a, more of a character guy. So seeing all that character stuff added was, was a big plus for me. Obviously there were some additions that I could see why they cut them from the film. You don't need to see an extra 35 seconds of Lex walking into his destroyed lab. You know, we don't need, oh, yeah. don't necessarily need another 20 seconds of Lois looking at her bloody shirt. You know, I, I can see why some of those things were were cut for time, but you know, I just think this movie would have been would have been a lot better received. Some of these character moments, and one of the scenes that I really liked was after after the press conference and not press conference, the uh, staff meeting when Lois is packing up after she got her flight to DC. That's when we see Clark call her low for the first time, at right. least in, in that cut, and it kind of because I because I remember you know. During that scene in Washington, the first time I saw it, him calling it a low kind of took me out a little bit. Because I'm like, oh, he's got a cute little name for it. And I'm thinking about that instead of what's, what's going on. Right. And, you know, you've having had it already, it seems normal when he does it later. So, that's, that's true. I can see that. So I really like that. But the big addition was definitely the, the Clark stuff. You know, because we, we, we had seen a lot of Lois investigating in the theatrical cut. The only stuff we hadn't seen were the scenes with Jenna Malone's character, which I can see why they cut those out. 
I mean, those are things that can, that can be explained with a couple of lines of expositional dialogue. But I really like seeing Clark go to go to the apartment complex in Gotham looking for Kahina. Right. And that's where he stumbles upon the, the old man. I go back and forth on this guy. I, I don't know if he's on the payroll or, <laughs> or what, but I like how he turned Clark on to Batman. I also really liked that woman in the background. The woman who comes up to him and says that people who fear Batman, the only people who fear him are those who need to. Yeah, I love that line. And I like when they come back to her later after the bombing. She and her son are watching TV, and the the TV has the line across the bottom of the newsfeed asking if Superman was involved. And the kid just looks to his mother, kind of doesn't say anything, but his eyes ask, really, is it true? She just shakes her head no. Yeah. You know, I really like seeing... You know, a member of the public and not one of our core characters showing support for both. Yeah, and that's neat to see kind of the the average person's perspective on this. To see that she knows about Batman and, and how Batman operates and that they care about what's going on with Superman. I, I like getting to see the, the average Joe or the average Jane and, and what they think about it. The stuff with, with Lois is, you know, all of the stuff with Lois was gold. You know, I did notice that the movie had to be re-edited a little bit to accommodate some of Lois's, some of the additional Lois scenes because the scene where she ambushes General Swan, General, I keep calling him General, yeah, <laughs> Secretary Swanwick in right. the bathroom is a lot later in the Ultimate Cut. It's after the part, the library party instead of before. Well, I guess that's where they first were to begin with, and then they got jostled around in the theatrical cut. But yeah, I I liked all of her stuff. Uh, and there's a there's that one added scene where she goes to Wallace's yes. apartment, and I really love that because that's another example of Lex manipulating the situation. You know, there's all that graffiti on the walls. There's even I, there's even a little graffiti that looks like the Capitol building, right. and it it shows how smart she is that she's able to get in there and get some information just by, I don't know if deducing is the right word, but she figures it out. Just, you know, a simple thing as to, oh, he didn't buy groceries. He thought he, he he did buy the groceries. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. He bought groceries because he didn't expect to die. He expected to come home. And I even like that. The we saw him bring home the groceries when he go, when, when he goes home right before he meets Lex, those two bags of groceries are hanging on the back of his wheelchair. Oh, I see. I didn't notice that. That's, that's a good catch. They're right, they're right there hanging from hanging from the handles. Oh, very cool. Yeah, it's in, and it's an interesting thought because poor Wallace just, he goes to the Senate hearing thinking that he's just going to face Superman and, and try to get him to answer for what Wallace thinks he's done, and he ends up being a pawn in Lex's game. Right, and he had no idea. No idea. So do you think this earned its R rating? Well, I think, yeah. I mean, it definitely was a rated R movie. It had... Uh, naked Ben Affleck, uh, which which I don't see a lot of people mentioning that that's probably a an homage to The Dark Knight Returns. It probably is. I, I that's what I see when I look at that because in The Dark Knight Returns, there's a a, a couple of panels where Bruce is naked in the Batcave. So that's what I assumed that was from. Uh, so it's very strange to me that not a lot of people have mentioned that. But um, there's the naked Bruce Wayne, and then there's a lot of blood spatter, especially in the African incident. Right. And then there's an F-bomb, which I personally didn't think was necessary. Yeah, I, di- I didn't either. I believe, in the, I believe in the theatrical cut, he just says, what do you want? And that would have been 
Yeah, that's that's enough. There were there were a couple things that I didn't think were necessary. Like when, ironically enough, both of them came out of the mouth of Wallace Keith. When he goes into the Senate office, he, okay, he's the theatrical cut doesn't mention that his wife that he thinks his wife walked out on him. That's yeah. fair enough, but really, is at this moment is the fact that he can no longer pee standing up is that really the most prevalent thing on his mind? Well, I think that was in reference to the the fact he says he made me half a man, right? And that's that's definitely a, a men pro, you know, a man problem. <laughs> and so I think that was what was trying to be conveyed there. But I I agree. I mean, they they took that out of the theatrical cut, and that was fine. Yeah, I I think some of that stuff with Wallace was to show how angry he was. Right. And how how this had affected his life, and I did think that that new information that we got in the extended cut about his family right. that changed some things for me because I just assumed in the theatrical cut because he puts their pictures down at Heroes Park, I thought they died right. in the Metropolis battle. So I that I mean that just totally transformed my opinion on his backstory or my thoughts or my interpretation of his backstory. So yeah, that was definitely. Uh, new information that changed a lot of things. Well, k- kind of the backstory I kind of came up with in my head after seeing after seeing this and hearing that line that he probably came came out of this situation losing his leg with some kind some form of PTSD, mm. and you know he lost his leg so he probably sunk into some kind of depression. It's probably not not a far stretch that he started drinking or something like that to kind yeah. of yeah he probably pain. yeah he probably became very difficult to live with right so. There's a backstory in my mind where his wife probably did the best she could, but eventually it became a point where she, probably for the sake of the daughter, had to cut our losses and get out of there. Yeah, I kind of assume that as well. One of the things I one of the things I mentioned is, you know, the dialogue. This charge was leveled at Man of Steel also, and I didn't really see it. That the film was devoid of humor, and I don't I don't, but I do agree with the fact that a lot of the lines that I found humorous. We're not in the theatrical cut. One of one of my favorite lines in the movie is right after Bruce and Alfred had their little discussion in front of the fireplace there. And as he leaves, Alfred just says, so falls the house of Wayne. Yeah. Such a great line, and it's gone. And there's that priceless exchange between Bruce and Alfred after, after the Martha moment, where Batman says that he doesn't deserve Alfred. And it's like, no, sir, you don't. You know, I think a lot, if these things were left in, it might have helped to kind of bring some levity to the film. Maybe. Well, I thought I thought the theatrical cut had a lot of humor in it, and I I don't understand that. I'm actually going to try to do a compilation of the, the quote jokes in the movie because I think a lot of the humor comes from the character beats and what the character's right. doing. Like a lot of the stuff that Perry, you know, gets flustered about with Clark is very humorous, where he's trying to find Clark and he can't figure out where he is, and so he's you know fussing at Jenny, and Jenny's like, I I don't know. Yeah, where I, he is. yeah. Like. That cr- that cracks me up. I I think the extended cut even furthered the humor even a, a little bit more because there's a a scene with the two GCPD officers in the car watching the Metropolis Gotham City game, right. and th- the humor is not like setup punchline. It's it's based within the characters right. and the context of what's happening. And so like if you see them watching that game and then and then they say something like, "Well, a fight's broken out in Gotham City." 
it's funny to me because right. we know later that Batman and Superman are going to be fighting and duking it out in Gotham right. City. And so it's foreshadowing the fight between Batman and Superman. So I enjoy that kind of stuff because it's not necessarily like, here's a joke. It's based in what it's is not, happening in the scene. It's not Spider-Man humor. Yeah, yeah. I love snarky Alfred. Yeah, yeah. You know? But like the little subtle, the subtle moments between the characters where there's a little bit of a, the word I'm looking for. They're not joking, but the banter. Yeah. You know, Superman comes down. Did you find this bear? I've been a little busy. You know, <laughs> the, the way he delivers that. When you think about it, you know, people always point to the I thought she was with you joke out of context. You know, everybody kind of got up in arms. Well, why does Wonder Woman have to be with anyone? But really, it's because it's a response to the line that she's killed things from other worlds before. This thing is from another world. My world. I've killed things from other worlds before. She with you? I thought she was with you. And he and he just looks at Batman, who had just tried to kill a being from another world. Right. And almost a logical response. She with you, really? I mean, they genuinely don't know where she came from. Right. <laughs> They're trying to figure out where she just kind of pops in. And they don't know if she's affiliated with another group, if she right. is acting on her own. Like, they gen they genuinely do not know where she has come from. Right. <laughs> so I think that's, to me, that is the humor in that, is they, they are very confused by her presence. Right. Another charge that I want to respond to about the death of Superman. Everyone says, why didn't he hand the spear to Wonder Woman or Batman? Well, one, Batman can't get anywhere near him, near Doomsday. Secondly, Wonder Woman was a little busy holding him in place with that lasso. Really, Superman was the only one who could stab him with the spear. So I just wanted to get that off my chest. Well, I would agree with that because they all played their parts. Right. Bat Batman, <laughs> poor Batman, he, he couldn't do much in that fight, but he did a good job of distracting Doomsday, making sure that he kept the fight going until Superman could get back and... Wonder Woman did the same thing where she was doing everything she could until Superman could get back in the game. And then she had to use her lasso to hold him down. I think you're 100% correct about that. And the fact is that if Wonder Woman used the spear, she would be dead too. I right. mean, I, I don't think that Wonder Woman is capable of going through that and surviving. So would you really want Wonder Woman's first big screen debut to be where she died? <laughs> I wouldn't. So I think it actually makes... A lot of sense. And in terms of his arc, it makes a lot of sense, too, that he is finally at the place where he accepts his place in the world right. and what the world thinks of him and his place with Lois. And and he's willing to sacrifice himself. And so I think it just it makes a larger narrative sense that he would do that. And and all of the stuff about how he has to push himself further in, you know, do he pushes himself into Doomsday's, uh, I don't know what you would call that, his pointy... I call pointy, it a spike. His pointy spike. He has to push himself further into it. I. That's the kind of thing that I think only Superman could have done. Right. That he, that he could have pushed himself into that to make sure that Doomsday really got that spear in him. So, I, yeah, I think it's... I personally don't think it's a very strong argument. I don't think so either. And I... And I don't think the spear weakened him enough to make him vulnerable to Doomsday. I think that spike goes through him, Kryptonite or no. Yeah, yeah, true. I thought it was an improvement on the original version. It improved some of the things that might have been lacking. Obviously, extending a two-and-a-half-hour movie wreaks havoc with the pacing anyway. 
Yeah. But, you know, at home, that's not as big of an issue as the theater. But <laughs> one thing I wanted to ask you, this was announced very early that there was a longer version out. Do you th think the knowledge that this was coming, do you think that hurt the, the run in the theaters of the theatrical version? Oh, that's a good question. I I wouldn't even thought, I don't personally think it mattered to me. So I can't speak about uh, about that for anybody else, but the extended knowing the extended cut was out there, it didn't really affect me too much because I didn't know how extended it would be and what it would change. And even even now, like looking back, I still love the theatrical cut. Right. I would go see it fifteen times. Of course, I loved it, but I I don't know that it it changes my feelings on the movie one way or the other to have thought that the extended cut was there. I, but I do think that the reason Warner Brothers put it out there is because they knew they had a strong movie. They did right. have a strong version of the movie and the one that they put out in the theaters, honestly, they chopped it up. Right. They really, they, they did go in there and chop up a whole bunch of stuff and change some scenes around that were a little jarring to people and, and including myself. Right. So I, I think... I don't know. It's interesting because I wonder if people saw the theatrical cut and said, well, can't wait till that extended cut because it's probably better, which I'm sure some people did. Right. Um, but for me, I don't think it at the time that I went to go see it in the theaters, the, knowing the extended cut was out there, it didn't change my opinion of anything. Right. Well, it wouldn't affect us. You know, people like you and me, they have our money anyway. Yeah, that's true. You know, but there, there were a lot of people on the fence, you know, and the movie took a bit of a beating in its first week. And they and these things come out so fast now. Yeah. I think that's part of the issue too. I mean, back when I was younger, you know, if you wanted to see a movie, you went to see it in the theater, or otherwise you waited a year. Oh yeah. To see it again. Now, it, it was in, th in theater end of March. Here we are four months later talking about its home video release. So Yeah. I think even that hurts the uh, box office numbers with some movies. No. Well, sh sure, because a lot of people don't want to spend all that money to go to the theater and right. and s spend their time having to go somewhere. They would probably rather prefer to see it at home. I I'm kind of the opposite. If it's a big movie like this, I want to see it on the big screen. Right. Um, but I have noticed that a lot of people have been swayed and turned around by this extended cut. Yeah, I've seen that too. So, um, so that is a fascinating uh, part of this whole process is that I have seen people won over by it. Right, I ha and I've seen that too. You know, I think the people going on Twitter apologizing to Zack Snyder was a little over the top. Well, he deserves their apologies. They should be apologizing to Zack Snyder. <laughs> well, you know, I, th I think Zack Snyder is one of those directors where people go in, go into his movies, they sit there with their arms across their chest and say, okay, wow me. Instead of going in there looking to have a fun time at the theater. Well, I think some of those people go into the theater crossing their arms and saying, I hate this already right, before yeah. before the movie even starts. I feel bad for him because he makes fantastic movies and people don't give him a chance. Right. I mean, I've liked most of what I what I've seen from Snyder. I watched since our last discussion, I've watched it watched three hundred. So cool. I I like that. I always think about watching Soccer Punch and I read the premise and that really doesn't interest me. It's a pretty, it's a pretty good movie though. I I would recommend it if you're if you're in, in into Snyder movies, right? Or at least movies that make you think. Right. I just I just read the read the description and kind of passed on it, not because Zack Snyder directed it, but because just the content. The, yeah, the, the, I get the, it. It didn't seem like 
And, you know, that's not a knock on the director. That's just a matter of taste. Right. That's just what you want to see. Right. And if he's and if people don't like his style as a matter of taste, that's one thing. But to go in there and saying it's Zack Snyder going in there looking to pick it apart. You know, I just think that's unfair to the movies. It's very unfair. Yeah. So speaking of which, we've seen a whole bunch of stuff about what's coming up soon. Like, I know. Have you liked what you see from Comic Con so far? Oh, I'm so excited! I I thought maybe Zack Snyder would bring bring some kind of footage, but I wasn't sure what it would be. I thought it would just be a little clip, and then he brought out a a freaking trailer. I was like, "What the heck?" I know. So that was awesome, and the Wonder Woman trailer was awesome. So I am very excited, and even with the Suicide Squad stuff i get a kick out of seeing all of them together they seem like they have a good time so i think the the future of the dceu is very bright and i i'm so thrilled that wonder woman got the response it did from everyone seeing the trailer because it was a great trailer and the movie looks fantastic i think they've done a great job with her i got especially excited even though we got to see the lasso which i loved in batman v superman uh to see her actually throw the lasso was that made me so happy, and she looks awesome. Uh, there's so much action in it. It looks like there's going to be a little romance, which I love. I'm a sucker for that. Right. So so Wonder Woman looks fantastic. It does. And I'm kind of at the point where I'm kind of overseeing footage from Suicide Squad. I'm at the point where I'm just ready to see the movie already. Yeah, it, and it's it's coming up. I'm trying to kind of go into it like a baby. You right. know, I'm trying to spoil myself too much. Right. Really, we don't know that much about it. We, yeah, we know who's in it, but you know, we, and we know the Joker's roaming around, but we really don't know a whole lot. Here we are, two weeks, two weeks away, and we still don't know who Scott Eastwood's playing. <laughs> yeah, and that, I think that's actually how it should be. Right. So, I think the future looks looks pretty bright. What What did you think about the Justice League stuff? It was it hit all the it hit all the right notes, you know, and we were talking about humor. I think Ezra Miller is going to bring so much to this universe, you know, and he's another one. You know, a lot of people are kind of watching with their arms folded because he's not Grant Gustin. Right. And, and I can understand where they're coming from, but you can't put Grant Gustin in this movie without sabotaging the Flash TV show. Yes, because, that's, that's true. And it's all a multiverse. So, yeah, I'm, I'm down for multiple versions of the Flash and, and seeing different stories. And I, I loved seeing the stuff we got to see of Jason, uh, Jason Momoa's Aquaman. I thought he looked awesome. That shot of him standing in like the, the shot where the water is coming at him yes. apparently was not CGI. He did that for real. <laughs> and that's awesome. And to see him go up against Bruce Wayne was great. And um, I was very surprised and delighted by what I saw out of Justice League. I was too. And and I like that. Again, there, there's going to be humor, but it's going to be subtle. Again, I think it comes from the characters because, right. you know, Bruce is having to go and recruit some of these people who may not want to join his little alliance. Well, we and, already know that one of them doesn't. Yes. Uh, I, I love that little exchange. And I love that exchange between Bruce and Diana. He said he'll fight with us? More or less. More, more, or more, less? Probably more or less. He said no. He said no. <laughs> yeah, it, I, I'm lo- really looking forward to seeing their I love their ca- in the movie. I love their chemistry. Yeah, yeah. I don't have anything else. You, you? Um, well, I just, I'm glad that we're still talking about Batman v Superman. I'm glad that the extended cut at, came out so we could look at it with fresh eyes and get, uh, it felt like it was getting to see the movie again for the first time. Right. 
even even though it was mostly the same movie. I mean, it didn't really change a whole lot. There was, you know, a couple little things added here and there. And then there was that whole storyline with Kahina. But it was neat to see Jimmy, Jimmy Olsen and Lois Lane's introduction. It was neat to see the added stuff with the funeral sequence. I mean, just just a little bit of, gen- uh, I almost said it too, uh, Secretary Swanwick. Right. Uh, getting to see him receive the flag from Superman's coffin, I thought was a really nice touch. So it was little things like that that I thought I think make the movie so much stronger. And I don't know how much you know will will it be remembered for the, the- theatrical cut or will it be just mostly accepted as the extended cut? I, I don't know, but I will definitely I have a special place for both versions in my heart. You know, I like the fact that the ultimate cut didn't change the story, right? But it did. But it did enrich the story. I think that's a great way to put it. And I didn't notice when I saw it in theaters that I might have noticed Pete was there walking away. But that the, the ultimate cut was the first time I noticed they brought the priest back. Yes. And he added a little scripture in there right. that was very interesting to me because I think it's like Isaiah 2619. And it's not it's not a scripture that I normally hear at funerals, right. which I thought was really interesting. Normally you'll hear Psalm 23, though I walk through the valley of death. You know that kind of thing, but it, it was it was an interesting choice to put that as the scripture that 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 priest reads at the funeral. It was a nice little you know again foreshadowing the resurrection and the return of Superman, right. which as confirmed the other day, it's going to happen. Oh yes, and I thought it was a nice touch by Zack Snyder at San Diego Comic Con. For me as a Superman fan, I appreciated that when every cast member of the Justice League was out on stage, he said but it wouldn't be the Justice League without Superman. And so I, I thought that was a really nice touch, and I appreciated that from him. And there was, I don't know if you picked up on this from the Suicide Squad panel, but it is confirmed that Suicide Squad is post-BVS. Yeah, and I'm really excited about that because I was thinking the other day about how we get Suicide Squad and Wonder Woman, and then we get Justice League. So potentially we could, well, Wonder Woman's, I think, mostly going to be her backstory. But yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, so I don't know if we'll get any, you know, like, you know, scenes here and there, like if if it if it'll flash forward to the present at some point. But we're gonna get to see a world without Superman, right. and that to me is kind of cool. I like the idea that we're gonna get to see what happens to the world after they've been introduced to Superman, and then Superman got taken away. What do people do, and how does everybody react? So that's that's kind of a neat thought, right? And it, and it makes sense there because if you look at things like Suicide and Justice League. Amanda Waller and Bruce Wayne are responding to the same thing yes. in two different ways. He's assembling a team of good guys while she's assembling a team of spendable <laughs> villains. That is a great point. They're right. doing the exact same thing, just going about it differently. Right. And I don't know if we're going to get this in Suicide Squad, but I really want to see a scene with Amanda Waller and... And Batman. And Batman. Oh. She's the one character in the DCU that doesn't take his crap. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? And that, I, I almost think great. they can't they, they can't resist it. I I, I don't want to get my hopes up, but I, I have a feeling we'll get something like that. All right. So I don't have anything else. So why don't you tell the people where they can find you? Sure. Well, I am on Twitter. My personal account is Derby Kid. That's at D-E-R-B-Y-K-I-D. And I am one of the hosts of Supergirl Radio. So if you like Supergirl, the the C, the Supergirl TV series on the CW, or just Supergirl in general, the, the character of Kara Zor-El, you can listen to Supergirl Radio. And you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and you can find our website at supergirlradio.com. And you can find 
find my show on Facebook in the Man of Screen Podcast Facebook group. So you can head over there and join the conversation. If you want to email the show, the email address is manofscreen at gmail.com. Next time on Man of Screen Extra, I'll be taking a look at some of the DC EU movie and DC TV stuff from San Diego Comic Con. So for Mike Zumo and Rebecca Johnson, have a good one, folks. Take care. Podcast is produced by Mike Zemo, and all opinions on the show are those of Mike Zemo and else. All music and sound clips used in the making of the show are for three purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All trademarks are copyrighted by original copyright holders. The Man of Screen Podcast is a member of the Superman Podcast Network. It can be found at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. The homepage for the show is manofscreen.podomatic.com. You can email the show at manofscreen at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.